going to be just a, a little bit um, academic at the beginning, okay? That's not my MO normally, but um, I've had just so much um, in my mind from Palm Sunday to having walked the stations a couple of times. Just it's been, it's been good, just let me say that. And, and so I just want to give you a couple of metaphors to be thinking about before I try to explain a few of them. And we have the Passover. I mean, it is the central feast for the people of Israel, so much so that that last verse that Pete wrote said, this, this is a memorial we give you forever to remember what the Lord did there, okay? That, that's, that's forever is big, okay? And then, interesting enough, if you think about it, we have both Paul and Luke. Neither one of them were of the 12. Paul and Luke telling the story, if you will, Luke telling the story of the Last Supper, who he never knew Jesus personally. He was evangelized by Paul. And then Paul tells the story, I received from the Lord what I now give to you. What went on for those 20 or 30 years between the time Paul and Luke wrote about this feast that we celebrate tonight which has become, at least in our tradition, the central act of worship that we do. So just a little bit of academic stuff, okay? So the Lord's Supper, um, it's a sacrament, right? And we in our particular tradition have two, we believe there are two main sacraments that Christ gave, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those were instituted, if you will, by Christ. A sacrament is an outward sign of something God is doing inwardly, a grace that he's doing that we need outward signs to define the grace, okay? Um, for example, a sacramental sign of marriage is not the ring, but the vows, okay? We make these vows, and they are the, if you will, the signs of the, out, the inward grace that God is doing, the two becoming one flesh, okay? How else can you explain it but vows, okay? So a sacrament, it's an outward sign. Now, here where I'm getting to where, for me, it starts making even more sense. Um, it is one of the two sacraments, and Paul's corresponding with the young church in Corinth. He says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul received it, and he believed it was from the Lord. Whether he heard it from the disciples or not, he believed it was from the Lord. Um, so once again, stay with me. 20, 25 years after Christ's death and resurrection, Paul is saying, this is what I received of utmost importance, and I'm giving it to you on the night that our Lord was betrayed. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he said, this is my body for you. This is my body for you. Then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Receive it, break it, give it in remembrance of me. Then he says, in the same way, he took the cup of after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isn't that amazing? In so many ways, this sacrament, this sharing in the body and the blood of Christ, this proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, directs our hearts and our minds to the great love that God our Lord has for us. Amen? Um, Has for not only us, but for this world, uh, for all its hurts, all its sorrows, all its brokenness. Every time we do this, we proclaim the love of God, his death until he comes again. And we need it, do we not? Every single moment of our life. So um, I want to offer some things. Um, A quote first from John Stott. And I made a little mistake because I got caught up in reading him and I just got caught up in reading him and caught up in reading a lot of him. But listen to this. I think this will be helpful. What Christ said about the scriptures, what he said about the scriptures, the word of God, is equally true of the sacraments. So that immediately grabbed me. I said, I've got to hear what he says. He said, their function and purpose are the same. The scriptures and the sacraments purpose are the same. Both the scriptures and the sacraments are God's given signposts directing our attention away from them to Christ. Isn't that amazing? The purpose of the scripture is to direct ourselves, our minds, our hearts, away from the Scripture to Christ. They are a trustworthy account of who? Of Jesus Christ. Same with the sacraments. Verbally in Scripture, visually in sacraments, Jesus is set forth as the only Savior of the world. Amen? But neither Scripture nor sacrament is an end to itself. Both are means to an end, namely that we encounter Jesus and find salvation in him. Isn't that just beautiful? How many of you ever heard um, sacraments are means to grace? Has has anybody ever heard that phrase thrown out? It's not that common because nobody raised their hand. Um, (laughs) But I've heard it, and I always wonder, what does it mean means to grace? Well, the means to grace is the sacraments are means to encounter Jesus, and Jesus is grace. Isn't that amazing? This is what it means to be means of grace. Scripture and sacrament kindle our faith in Christ and thus are means of grace, God's unyielding love and favor towards us. That's what the Scripture's about, and that's what the sacrament's about. That's what the Lord's Supper is about. He goes on and says this, one more quote, and I'll get into my stuff. Sacraments stimulate, excuse me, Yes, stimulate our faith to lay hold of the blessing that are so freely given to us, and we offer our praise and thanksgiving. So the sacraments, they stimulate our faith so that we can lay hold of the blessings that are so freely given to us, all right? So um, I had my memory jogged, and I was a child of this particular denomination, 
was raised in it, was raised in the old language, the these and thou's, and I just remembered this phrase. And I started looking through our prayer book, found it in our prayer book, our current one, found it in the other one, and listened to this. It says, in the midst of our Eucharistic prayer, unfortunately, had I done my sermon a week ago, we would be using this Eucharistic prayer, but we're not because I just found it, all right? So listen to this. Hear this prayer. Um, This is in the part of the consecration. We earnestly desire thy fatherly goodness, mercifully to accept this our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So Jesus made his sacrifice. What is our sacrifice? Praise and thanksgiving. When we come to this table, we are not re-sacrificing Christ. Our sacrifice is praise and thanksgiving to what he has done once for all on the cross for us. All right? So our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving Asking you, God, that by the merits and death of your son, Jesus Christ, and through faith in his blood, we and your whole church may obtain forgiveness of sins. And this was the phrase that came to my mind. And all other benefits of his passion. Isn't that amazing? So the gift that God is giving us when we come to this particular sacramental act, this bread and wine, are all the benefits that he, that he has for us of his passion. His passion being his death and his resurrection. Isn't that amazing? With his death, really. His suffering and all of that. His passion. Um, in this text, um, um, I was reading, uh, I did another uh, walk with the stations today. And it, because I had already kind of thought about this, um, this came up to me, and I just blew blew me away. Um, So we have all the benefits of his passion. His death is suffering. And then in our our station, um, it says this, My Lord Jesus, your compassion surpasses even your passion. Isn't that amazing? So his passion is phenomenal. But his compassion... For us is what led him, if you will, to be able to be faithful to his passion. That just just blew me away. So three things for you. In this Lord's Supper, in this sacrament, we remember, we participate, and we fellowship. I'm just going to unpack those real quick. We remember, we participate, and we fellowship. So the remembering, the first thing we remember in this passion, if you will, in this sacrifice is the great narrative of God's relentless mercy and grace. It didn't start with Christ. Where did it start? It started when he created us in his image and when he then redeemed us, if you will, then when he rescued us out of Egypt. I mean, there's the story. Read Exodus 12 again. This is the great narrative of God's relentless mercy and grace from the beginning of time to the end of time. Even in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, if we were to back up a little bit, we have been actually studying this in one of our Bible studies a couple of weeks ago. Um, At the beginning of chapter 10, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drunk from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. This is in Exodus, I mean, 
Paul is talking about the Exodus story, if you will. Um, so we remember the great narrative. The second thing we remember is we remember the Lord's death on the cross and as the full and perfect sacrifice. Um, if you would like, if you will go to your um, order of worship on page seven, we say this every single Sunday. My guess is some of you are not necessarily following along. Um, Sometimes even when I'm saying the words, my mind gets distracted. I'll be honest. I'll confess to that. But what are these, what are, if you will, uh, what are we participating in in this death in, um, of Christ? Holy and gracious Father, first of all, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. There's the great narrative. When we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you and your mercy sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world for our salvation. So what are we remembering? When did Christ come into the world? Was it before our repentance or after our repentance? It was before. Um, while we were in sin, if you will, he sent your, his only son into the world for our salvation. Then by the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and did what? And dwelt among us. This is what we remember every time we come to the table in the Lord's Supper. We don't just remember what he has done. We remember what he is doing. He dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all that by his suffering and death, we might be what? We might be saved. This is what we remember every time we come to the table. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death trampling hell and Satan under his feet. Guys, you know this, death does not have the final word. Does not have the final word for death. Many of you probably know that. Um, I'm going to say a little bit more about I'm hurting a little bit. So, um, And then the other thing we remember, we remember the call that Christ gave us to serve. So if all we remember is what he did for us, and what he's not, and when we don't remember what he's calling us to do, then we miss it. We miss the call to serve. Beautiful text in Luke's gospel. Um, the Lord's of the Gentiles lorded over them, and not so with you. I came among you as one who served. That's the way it is for you. In John's gospel, if we were to read the John's gospel narrative, he gives him a new commandment. You're to love one another as I have loved you. And he washed his feet. So we remember the great narrative we remember what the Lord's death has done for us, and we remember the call to serve rather than to be served, all right? So what are we participating in? Um, the great narrative, if you will, um, it doesn't just happen then. It goes on in the body of Christ, right? We are participating in that now. Um, if you go to 1 Corinthians again in uh, chapter 10, um, let me just back up and say, you can tell I, did, I just did a lot of reading this time, um, and it was really blessing me. So I'm just kind of offering this to you um, to meditate on. So down in verse 16, chapter 10, uh, Paul writing to this young church at Corinth, he says this, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? So this cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. Then he goes on and says, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? And then he says, because there is one bread, we who are many 
are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Do you see the community there? This, this is not something that just happened there and doesn't involve us. We participate um, in it. Um, so Christ takes it. He blesses it. And he gives us. We are not spectators um, in this great sacrament called the Lord's Supper. Um, one more time, I'm going to read from our stations. And um, those of you who knew Deb um, and participated in her life, um, she was not perfect, just like the rest of us. She was not perfect, but she suffered well. Um, she finished strong. She had a hope for eternity that she verbalized. Probably, if she was like the rest of us, trying to convince herself it's true because it is true. Um, and so um, this morning, as I walked the station, I was grabbed by the last station. And I just want to read a couple of things about that. Um, so the leader, this is what Jesus is buried. It says, I'm buried in a borrowed tomb, even as you were born in a borrowed cave. So you end your mortal life, but your work in your church is only beginning. The teaching that you could not impart, the suffering that you could not endure in the short span of your life, you must now impart and bear in the members of your body. And I shared this with Mark. Um, I know that following Christ does not mean we do not suffer. I know that. But what I really have never made a part of my theology is how important my suffering is for my witness to Christ. We not, we're not completing anything that Christ did, but as his body and as we suffer and as we grieve for the world, um, we are, if you will, continuing on that work until he comes again. Amen. And so my final word is we participate. Um, we remember we participate and then we have fellowship. Although we tend to use the old adage that um, this is an altar, it's no longer an altar. It, it's a table. It's a table because it is a foretaste of the great banquet that we all are going to participate in when he comes again. Yes, we can say it's an altar because there's a sacrifice there, but it's a table. We, we gather around it. Um, and truth has become a table because we're all invited. Um, this past um, Lent, we've been using an invitation um, to the table. Does anybody remember it, what it says? I'll read it to you real quick. It says this, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sin of the world. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the land. We are in fellowship, not only with one another, but with this great cloud of witness. Um, bring, bring, if you will, everything that you are with all the saints. Um, Luke twenty two sixteen, and I'll end with this verse. Sometimes these phrases grab you and you just, have to ponder just a word or two, but Jesus said this, verse 22, excuse me, verse um, 16 of chapter 22. 
And he said this, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And what that means is he will not eat it until, which means he's going to do what? He's going to eat it again uh, when the kingdom of God is brought together uh, at the marriage feast of the Lamb. That is why we gather and celebrate as our primary feast, um, the Lord's Supper. Um, we remember, we participate, and we fellowship with one another. Amen.